Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kasesinov. Actually, this week I am not your host. I'm not your sole host anyway, because I'm actually going to co-host this episode this week with my darling daughter, Cassandra. First of all, welcome, Cassandra. Hi, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. The main reason why Cassandra and I decided to do this, and for those of you who tune in to London Heal on a regular basis, you may notice this episode didn't come out on Friday, as usual, um, for the main reason because this particular episode is extremely challenging for me. Um, sitting here recording it, I'm still not 100% convinced I'm actually going to press publish. The reason I think for that will become apparent as, as we go on, because this is a very personal story for both Cassandra and I. And the reason why it's a very personal story is because two months ago, Cassandra and I went off to a psychiatrist and we both came back with a diagnosis of adult ADHD. It's a bit of a shock, um, perhaps not quite such a shock because otherwise we wouldn't have gone if we hadn't have had some suspicions. But bearing in mind for me as a mature adult, I have to say it, it has come as a little bit of a shock. And for Cassandra, who's just turned 20, I think also um, my initial reaction to the diagnosis, I have to say, was an immense sense of relief um, because there's a whole load of demons, perhaps, is the best way to put them in my life that I have been trying to overcome with various degrees of success and often felt that, that there were certain character defects, certain moral failings in myself that I have, although invested in huge amounts of personal development and growth over over the last few years, um, I sort of always felt that there was just like this little bit missing that I couldn't quite overcome and I couldn't get to. And, and now I know what that is. And so there's an immense sense of relief. The other aspect of it is that my second emotion was actually anger, which was, oh, why didn't I get this diagnosis so long ago? Because it really perhaps may have changed the course of my life. But also the reason why I'm very happy for Cassandra that she has this diagnosis relatively early in her life, perhaps not as early as it could have been, because she now has the chance to actually take that information and she has her whole life ahead of her. And that's the reason why we decided to do this episode, isn't it, sweetheart? Because yes. We want to make sure that anybody who's an adult out there listening, um, we're going to talk about some of the symptoms and the, the ways this really impacts your, your life. We're also hopefully going to finish up on an up note about how it's not all bad and it's, it's not the worst thing in the world that you can have. But the purpose of the exercise is really to raise awareness because I think that Adult ADHD is something which perhaps in America is is much more at the forefront of people's thinking and awareness. But I would say that perhaps in England and the UK and Europe in general, that's maybe not quite the case. And as somebody who spent their entire life in science and more recently in in um, as a therapist, you know, I. I'm almost embarrassed to say that I didn't really fully appreciate how much of an issue this is and that it's even a thing for adults and more importantly for women because the interesting thing which we will 
get in and talk about is that a lot of differences exist between classical cases of ADHD in men and women. And unfortunately, a huge number of women go completely undiagnosed. I think if yeah, I remember... Something like 85% eight, of women with ADHD are undiagnosed. So maybe that's a good place to start, Cassandra. Why don't, why don't you tell us? Because, you know, in typical ADHD fashion, both of us have gone off and researched this subject extensively. So um, how about you fill us in on, on some of the, the reasons why that is? Why, why are women so, so misdiagnosed or not diagnosed? Because both things happen. They get misdiagnosed a lot too. Yeah, I think it's what you said that it's sort of often seen as something that only occurs in young boys and a lot of the research that was carried out early in ADHD research was done on young white boys and they have very different symptoms a lot of the time to women. They're often more hyperactive and especially the research that was carried out was carried out on specifically hyperactive young boys because um, there are two types of ADHD, for those who don't know, there's primarily inattentive and primarily hyperactive. And then there's also a combination of the two called combined ADHD. And often inattentive ADHD is more common in girls and women and hyperactive ADHD is more common in boys and men. And so as a result, that's the kind of typical picture that most people think of when you mention ADHD, both in the general public and I think even a lot of doctors and psychiatrists, that's the image that they have and so I think that's why women often fly under the radar and also boys are often more disruptive especially if they're primarily hyperactive everyone's going to notice a boy running around the classroom but fewer people are going to notice a girl just sitting in the back of the class staring out the window which is this typical image of inattentive ADHD and they're often less of a disruption to the class. So I think that's one of the reasons why, at least in childhood, boys are much more easily diagnosed than women. Yeah, I think the statistics are that, that um, if you're just looking at the hyperactivity component, there's about a three to one or four to one ratio boys to girls. But I think the understanding is now that if you actually look more at the inattentive aspect, that it's pretty equally distributed between the genders. Yeah. It just shows itself differently. And also I think girls are more likely, even if they are hyperactive, to hide those symptoms or try and cover them up and develop more coping mechanisms because I think there's the idea of boys will be boys. That's just the way boys are. They're a bit more rambunctious, a bit more hyperactive. And so it's often almost more accepted for them to be hyperactive than I think it is for girls. But I think even with inattentive ADHD, girls are more likely to develop coping mechanisms and cover it up because we deal with a lot of expectations for girls that girls with ADHD just don't... They, they're just not that stereotype. And so they, I think they often try harder to fit in than maybe some boys do. Right. I mean, at this point, I think it's important to mention the reason why you didn't get diagnosed much younger. Um, I mean, you know, you're, you're 20. Uh, when I was young, I, I don't even think ADHD was, was even considered to be a thing. So, so I understand that. But in your case, I think one of the main reasons why um, it was overlooked and, and from your parents <laughs> equally as the doctors is the fact that you were actually a really good student and you still are I mean a super high achiever so 
I think that's one myth that we have to bust here straight away. Um, yes, it's true, ADHD untreated, undiagnosed can really completely destroy your life. Um, and th there's a lot of evidence of that. If you just look at the the, the numbers of, of people in prison, for example, in the US, I think it's something like 40% of prison inmates uh, have been diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and for, you know, so there is this sort of assumption in the public space that if you have ADHD, you're, you're kind of a failure and that you're dumb and that you just don't get your life together. And sadly, in a lot of cases, that, that is true because they go untreated and they go undiagnosed. And that's much more relevant, I think, for women, because I think part of that coping mechanism that you were talking about is very quickly and very early on, because I think women are so enormously subjected to all of these social norms and that we have to be good girls and we yeah. don't complain and, you know, you do all of the stuff and... And so to actually have a high achiever um, is actually something that you wouldn't instinctively associate with ADHD, but it does happen. There's a lot of men who are incredibly high achievers, people like Richard Branson. Um, can you think of some others? I know, for example, there's, there's some indications, strong indications that even geniuses like Leonardo da Vinci were clearly ADHD. Yeah, I think Mozart is another one that right. people think might have had ADHD. Yeah, and Michael Phelps, the uh, Olympic swimmer, the, the one who has more Olympic gold medals than anybody else has ADHD. So there's a lot of very high achieving people with ADHD. But what you tend to see in those high achievers, first of all, you have to ask yourself the question, how hard was it? And trust me, it's hard. <laughs> and the other question I think one has to always ask as well is to look at all of the aspects of these people's lives. Because even as a high achiever ADHD person, it may be that your professional life, um, your outward life is somehow functioning and appears to be functioning very well. But oftentimes other aspects of your life are then just an absolute disaster zone. So, Cassandra, let's, let's get in and talk about some of the symptoms, because that's what we want to do here. We want to raise awareness. We want people to think about what we're talking about. And, and I would really lay it uh, um, out there and, and ask people who are listening, if you yourself recognize any of the symptoms that we're about to be talking about, and if you see them perhaps in a loved one or friends or for the many therapists who listen, perhaps you may notice this in some of your clients that in actual fact, there may be a diagnosis of ADHD in the background that hasn't actually been conducted yet. Like really silly little things that sometimes are a clue that, that this is what's going on in the background. So let's go through that. Let's go through some of those symptoms. So for you personally, I mean, at this point, I have to say as well, I think this is a quote from um, uh, American psychiatrist Ned, Ned Hallowell, who's absolutely amazing. Um, I will put links to his work in the show notes, and I highly recommend that that you go and have a listen and look because he's one of the very few psychiatrists as an ADHD sufferer himself who really, really tried to turn this around and, and get his clients and, and his patients to actually look at the positive aspects of all of this. But he says, you know, if you know one person with ADHD, 
you know one person with ADHD because this is a spectrum. It's a spectrum disorder. And so you don't have to have all of those things. As Cassandra pointed out, the hyperactivity component is very often missing in women or it expresses itself in different ways because it's actually hyperactivity and impulsivity. So a perfect example is myself. I talk all the time, you may have noticed, and interrupt people. And, you know, because I sometimes have this feeling like if I don't say what I'm about to say, because I'm thinking about it right now, I'm just going to forget it. And so sometimes a few of the social cues get get, get buried and you just blurt things out. So that's how hyperactivity can express itself. And this impulsivity doesn't actually have to be running around the room, bouncing off the walls. And I think that's why a lot of people thought initially that children grow out of ADHD because often even in men the hyperactivity they had as children gets internalized and becomes this more things like speaking really quickly interrupting people making impulsive decisions and so they're not as easily detectable as hyperactivity but that doesn't mean it isn't still there. Right it can sometimes end up feeling like the classical description I think is that you're driven by a motor but I mean I know how that feels in myself is that sometimes you just have this kind of like ball of energy in your middle I I always call it my anticipatory feeling um, because you you just have this kind of you want to do something but you just don't know what it is and I think going back to the topic that we discussed earlier about misdiagnosis I think that adds to that that a lot of people identify that feeling of restlessness perhaps as anxiety and then go to their doctor saying, I feel anxious and the doctor doesn't really question or just takes them at face value and diagnoses them for anxiety when really what they're feeling isn't anxiety. It's this internal restlessness caused by ADHD. Right, right. I was listening to an interview. Um, uh, well, I've forgotten the name, unfortunately, of the of the doctor involved because I have ADHD. Forgetfulness is one of the symptoms. And um, she was uh, talking to a client and she was talking about how important it was to actually raise the right questions because she was... Um, had a patient who was a woman and she said the woman had said well you know she was anxious and she was particularly anxious about leaving her children in the supermarket or forgetting to pick them up from school and in a classical setting a doctor may say oh okay this is an anxious person and diagnose them with anxiety the same is equally true of depression Um, But this doctor chose to make the next question was, and has that ever happened? And the woman replied, yeah, loads of times. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny because, I mean, you know, it just shows you how important it is to ask the next question that actually this woman wasn't suffering from uh, a sort of an amorphous sense of anxiety. Her anxiety was really real because she knew that she has this propensity to forget her kids in supermarkets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so what we just discussed about forgetfulness, that's sort of one of the main symptoms of inattentive ADHD. So there's, along with that is disorganisation, whether that's sort of more internal disorganisation or just your room being really messy all the time, which I think we're both quite guilty (laughs) of. Um, And the inattentive thing also comprises the idea of 
attention deficit, which personally we both think is actually misnamed that rather than being a deficit of attention, it's more an inconsistency of attention. Or I would go even further to say that it's too much attention, that you sort of have to pay attention to everything. And that's why people often find it hard to focus because they don't lack the focus. It's just they're focusing on too many things at once or their focus shifts so quickly that they can't focus on what they're supposed to be focusing on because suddenly a thought pops into their head and then they need to go along that train of thought where they see something that distracts them. Um, so I think that's one of the main inattentive symptoms. Right. And I think this this sort of group of symptoms are the things that, that cause a major amount of anxiety and depression, particularly in women. I mean, I think it's incredibly frustrating for anybody to have that feeling like your brain is driving you rather than you driving your brain, you know, that, that it, I mean, it's, it's like having a head full of noise all of the time because there's just so much stimulation and so much input that you are flitting from one thing to another and it causes you distress. Um, and I think for women, particularly considering the fact that a lot of perhaps more uh, older women, more mature than yourself, you know, they're in charge of their families, they're in charge of their children, they're often in charge of their partners, they're in charge of the household, they may be also responsible for looking after elderly parents, and they just get overwhelmed and have this constant fear of permanent failure, because they just can't get their act together. And in a modern world where we are constantly driven to comparison between yourself and everybody else, you stand there and you think, well, why is she getting it together and why can she handle it and I can't? And the worst thing is, is that that then shifts not to being something you talk about and discuss with your friends. We know that women are very good at discussing things with your friends, but it's something that goes internal because you start to experience shame and shame is a horrible emotion because shame is not anything which is directed outwards towards anything anybody else it's directed inwards and shame is not about what you said or what you did or what you didn't do it's about who you are and so another huge feature of ADHD and one of the reasons why I implore people please to Go and investigate this subject if you have any suspicions that you or a loved one may fall into this, is that a lot of ADHD sufferers are not only carrying deep shame, but this majorly, majorly impacts their sense of self-worth and self-esteem. And that's, you know, the major component of your chance of success in life is how much self-esteem you have it's not how smart you are it's not who you know it's not how much money you have it's not what you can do it's actually how you feel about yourself and if you have been criticized your entire life of you know sit still don't do that concentrate if only you tried harder if only you tried harder I mean I don't know about you Cassandra because you were a good student but I got that all the time every single school report was talks too much could try harder, talks too much, could try harder, doesn't pay attention, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I think how do I, you feel about that? Yeah, I don't think I got try harder in an academic sense, but I think that I got that a lot in regards to my organisations. I got a lot of comments being like, you have a lot of academic talent, but it's being wasted or it's being negatively impacted by your lack of organisation, your forgetfulness. 
I would often leave things at home that I needed to do, forget to do things. Um, my papers were always a complete mess. Um, I've forgotten to do assignments before and had to do them at an hour before school started in the library. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with um, as well. And that's where I was told, you just need to try harder rather than thinking about, well, why does she have these problems? It was seen as a moral failing, which I think is something that's applied a lot to a lot of ADHD symptoms, that they're seen as an inherent character flaw or a moral failing, not caring enough, being lazy. But nobody ever questions, well, why are these children lazy? Why can't they do these things? They're just written off as not caring. Right. And I think that's what leads to a lot of low self-esteem because I think people with ADHD, especially women with ADHD, internalize these feelings and think, yeah, why can't I do that? Why am I like this? And There must be something wrong with me. Exactly. And so you beat yourself up just as much, if not more, than other people do. Right. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's a huge point, is, is, is you end up viewing it yourself as, as there's something wrong with me. There is, you know, I have a character failing, you know, everybody thinks I'm lazy or I'm flaky or I, you know, just can't get my act together. And it is absolutely not a lack of trying. I mean, this is something which I think is has been the biggest revelation for me actually because I know I've judged myself so harshly for all of these things and I've spent a lifetime trying to fix myself um, only to realize that actually these things are not my fault that doesn't mean that I it's not my responsibility to find coping mechanisms to find tips and tricks to actually help me function in this world but it's a it's a huge relief to know I'm not a bad person because when you when you're when you present with these set of symptoms that are so typical for ADHD they are exactly the set of symptoms that fall into that category of being sloppy, lazy, inattentive, not paying attention, not caring and they do get this absolute moral judgment from everybody around you. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of women, I'm one of them, so sometimes gets to the point where if you're concentrating on one aspect of your life, your entire domestic life goes up the pole. The laundry is lying around, the house is yeah. a mess, you know, and you get to the point where you don't want to open the front door or you don't invite friends around because the house is so messy. And so you become more is isolated and insulated. And all of this just compounds the problem. Yeah, and I think also a lot of women develop a sort of imposter syndrome. Either they think, especially younger women who are still at school or especially at university or starting out their careers they think either oh I'm stupid how did I end up here because they struggle with these things or they think the opposite that um they sort of feel like um I don't know how to explain this um yeah, imposter syndrome is is, yes. is that feeling that you're going to be found out, that, yes, that you exactly. achieve things without putting in the effort. Exactly, that you sort of coasted by just by being smart, but you didn't actually put any work in, you were lazy, and eventually people are going to realise that. Right, whereas, whereas normal people who have imposter syndrome tend to feel that they've worked really hard and they've done their best, but they're actually fundamentally not good enough, and that's going to be found out with ADHD people is the fact that, you know, we judge ourselves and worry about being finding out because we feel like we haven't put the effort in. But let me tell you, 
And any person who's been diagnosed with ADHD will know that this is true. And I think it's one of the biggest things that people who don't have ADHD don't realise is it's absolutely not a matter of trying hard enough. You have no idea how hard a person with ADHD struggles sometimes just to get through the day. It's not a lack of trying. It's like the way I can only describe it is sometimes, you know, that there's this list of things what um, that are, that have been beautifully described quite recently in a Twitter feed by a woman called Molly Molly Bax or Molly Bakes, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, who's actually talking about depression. But she sort of started talking about this thing called the impossible task. And the impossible task might be doing the laundry, doing the washing up, sending an email, writing back to a friend who's texted you, who you actually really love. But somehow, for some absolutely inexplicable reason, that task is impossible and it makes zero sense. And the reason why perhaps you see this sort of thing in depression as well as in ADHD is because that's the result of an executive dysfunction. And that is the hallmark of something like ADHD with depression It's a case of that part of your brain potentially being temporarily switched off while you're in a depressive phase. With somebody who has ADHD, they are always there. So we have problems with executive function, that part of the brain that helps us make decisions and actually carry out tasks is just sometimes missing. So you're standing there and you know there is no logical reason. You can think it through a million times, but you still can't do it it's just like a wall you can't get on top of it you can't get around it you can't get under it sometimes you just have to go away and hope you'll feel better later yeah and I think also often this impossible task is things that you actually do want to do and that's where when people say oh we're just lazy well it's not true because if I was just lazy then I would also be I would be able to do the things that I do enjoy but I find something like Sometimes an impossible task is watching the new season of a TV show I really love. And this is something I want to do, but there's a part of my brain that just keeps me from doing it. It's like an invisible wall is up in front of you and it's really hard to get over that wall. Right, right, absolutely. Perhaps this is a good point to interject what the what the current scientific uh, explanation of what's happening um, in the ADHD brain, there's a, there's a, lot, a large school of thought that thinks that this is a, a dopamine deficiency, and dif- uh, either a deficiency or in the same way with some serotonin-related disorders, that the, um, the dopamine perhaps is broken down too quickly, doesn't hang around enough, or is not sufficiently produced. I think the idea that it's not sufficiently produced is the main one. And dopamine is a really interesting neurochemical because it is the neurochemical of pleasure. So it's not, um, I think a lot of people think about it in terms of the reward neurochemical. So when you do something, you get a reward for it. But what's actually even more critical in the case of ADHD is not only is that the reward neurotransmitter, it's the motivating neurotransmitter it's the one that makes you do things because you see a long-term goal and you're motivated to achieve that goal because you can anticipate the reward that's going to come from it you know I I always like to think of you know it's the hormone that would kick in a neurotransmitter that would kick in for example back in the days of the hunter-gatherer 
when you were too tired and too fed up after the mammoth hunt, but you still manage to hawk that, that, you know, side of mammoth over your shoulder and schlep it back to the camp, even though you're actually tired and exhausted. It's, it's actually dopamine that gets that motivation going so that you can do that. And that's exactly what's missing in people with ADHD, which is why this impossible task is so impossible, because you need that little boost of, of dopamine to be able to actually motivate you to do the task um, in anticipation of the pleasure you will get having completed it. And when that initial trigger, that initial motivation is missing, it's just like Cassandra said, you can stand in front of this invisible wall and it's and you can't get through it. Yeah, and that's why it's so frustrating when people tell you just to try harder because it's not that you don't want to try, it's just you physically can't. There's no other way to explain it, really. Exactly. And going back to the thing about being misdiagnosed, I think that's super important. And I have to say that, you know, unfortunately, women especially suffer very much from social judgment, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, and I think there have even been studies that, that prove this, that if a woman will go to a doctor and explain a series of, of feelings and experiences, a doctor is much more likely to ascribe um, a diagnosis of depression or anxiety because that's a kind of a female thing to have. You know, it, it, it is really a little unfair and it's a social judgment. And so a lot of women end up getting actually diagnosed with these conditions, whereas in fact, Perhaps underneath there's an underlying ADHD that just goes unnoticed. And perhaps these women do have anxiety or depression, but the anxiety and depression didn't come about by itself, but it was caused by this underlying ADHD or is in fact just an expression of the ADHD. Yeah, and also a result. I mean, yeah. if you spend your whole life feeling like you're not good enough and you're not cutting it and you're not fitting in and feeling different, you know, feeling different feeling is a horrible feeling and overwhelmed. overwhelmed. Yeah, and all of those sorts of things. And I think if you spend your time in that sort of like headspace feeling like that about yourself, I think to develop anxiety and depression is almost a given. Yeah, and I think another thing that isn't talked about enough in regards to women and women with ADHD is the effect that hormones can have on it. And I think True. that's something that can also sort of um, make it worse. And a lot of people might attribute certain things to hormones that are actually an ADHD thing, like the idea of women when they're PMSing being really irritable and stuff like that. Well, that's an ADHD symptom. Then I used to think it was just me PMSing but I think really it was my hormones making my ADHD symptoms worse and that's why again a lot of women aren't diagnosed until after puberty or until they're adults because the rise in estrogen during puberty can often bring their ADHD symptoms out or at least make them a lot worse than they were in childhood and so I think that's why a lot of women aren't diagnosed until then and equally um, during menopause and perimenopause um, the symptoms can get worse again. And so that's why, again, that's kind of a, an age group where women often get first diagnosed with ADHD because that's when the symptoms get really hard to handle. And that's why they also changed the DSM. I think it used to originally be um, that symptoms had to be shown before the age of seven because that's when boys would start showing their symptoms and theirs would sometimes even get better with puberty. Whereas with girls, it was the opposite. They would really only start showing them 
more severely during puberty, so that's why the age was changed from 7 to 12. Right, right. So we were talking um, about the symptoms and we've been talking a little bit about the problems with inattentiveness, with not being able to stay on task and those sorts of things. But sometimes the the symptoms of ADHD can be very, very subtle. Actually, at this point, uh, perhaps I'd like to bring in the fact that there are still a lot of people out there who don't believe that ADHD is the thing. Um, the amount of data that has been gathered, admittedly primarily in, in children and in boys, uh, but the, the information is overwhelming. The body of research is astoundingly huge, and I think that there is absolutely categorically no argument anymore about whether ADHD exists. And the weird thing is that the people who often think that ADHD doesn't exist are actually people who have ADHD because they think it's normal and it's mm-hmm. it's not normal and I think that's what it, that's certainly the way I felt that I didn't feel it was normal I actually was always very conscious of the fact that I appeared to be very different um, and it was a problem for me but I know a lot of people with ADHD you've said that yourself yeah. actually were convinced that everybody feels like that yeah definitely especially when it came to things like concentration focusing I thought it was normal that everybody got distracted after five minutes and found it really hard to just sit down and do their work and not get distracted. And it was only once I started looking into ADHD that I had a lot of moments being like, wait, that's an ADHD thing? And I think that's really common in a lot of people who realise they might have ADHD that there's a lot of things that they think are normal that actually are a result of their ADHD. And I think there's a lot of things that also are symptoms that are not in the DSM or that are not discussed by psychiatrists that are also really common in people with ADHD, especially the more emotional side of things. Right. So a lot of people with ADHD, if not everyone with ADHD, experiences emotional dysregulation as well. Um, I think often tied to the impulsivity as well, being really irritable, getting easily frustrated, your emotions kind of going from zero to 60 or zero to a hundred very quickly. Yeah, those kind absolutely, of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Impulsive behaviour yeah. is another one. Yeah, perfect example of that. I walked into the hairdressers two weeks ago and cut all my hair off. <laughs> Mind you, um, I'm very happy with that decision, but it was an impulsive decision, mm-hmm. and it's not the first one I've made in my life. That's yeah. for sure. And also, one thing I've seen discussed a lot, largely more on the internet which I don't know how much traction it's had in more mainstream circles, but it's also the idea of rejection sensitivity and that a lot of people with ADHD sort of have very strong visceral reactions to real or even just perceived rejection and real fear of rejection, which I think is not necessarily a symptom of or an inherent symptom of ADHD, but also just a result of living with ADHD for your whole life and sort of always being told that there's something wrong with you and always being criticised, I think it can lead to that hypersensitivity to rejection. Yeah, absolutely. And the frustration tolerance is, is definitely uh, a huge factor and that that's kind of pretty closely related to overwhelm. I think people mm-hmm. with ADHD... And I think particularly women, especially because, you know, women have this reputation of being able to multitask, being able to do 20 different things at once. And, you know, if you have ADHD, that's that's just not possible. Uh, It's just not possible. You you can 
achieve a certain amount with with coping mechanisms and tips and tips and tricks but you know it's like you can achieve the goals of of having to multitask and do a hundred things at once but at the end of the day you are totally distraught and empty and and so completely overwhelmed with everything um that oftentimes i certainly experience many phases where I'll show you the train of thought. You know, you you sit down and you want to do something. And then before you do that, oh, you have to do that. And in order to do that, oh, there's that got to be done. And oh, and there's that bill that has to be paid. Um, I'll just do that. And oh, I didn't reply to that text. I'll just do. And, you you know, this constant state of, of chaos in your mind leaves you sometimes feeling so overwhelmed. And the task becomes so intimidating that you just stand there paralyzed and don't do anything, even if it's something you really want to do, exactly as you said yourself. And I think another one of the symptoms of ADHD is sort of having trouble initiating tasks. And I think it's not just the energy needed to initiate the task, but also often not knowing where to start, being overwhelmed by things. And so one thing that can really help people with ADHD is breaking things down into a lot of little tasks, because that's what they struggle with is trying to figure out where to start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, once you start not being able to stop, but that's that's we'll move on to that topic in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, going back to hypersensitivity, there's also often a sensory hypersensitivity, being overwhelmed by a lot of noises or a lot of things going on. For example, if you're in a really loud supermarket, one thing that people with ADHD struggle with is being able to filter out noises or being in a really loud restaurant when I'm personally in a loud restaurant or a pub and I'm trying to have a conversation I find it really hard to have a conversation because I'm not only listening to the person that I'm speaking to but I'm listening to all the conversations going on around me and I can hear the glasses being carried by the waiter in the background and I can hear people having a discussion in the other corner of the room and so that makes it really hard to focus on the person that I'm talking to. Right, absolutely. I mean, I think the the, the classical expression of that is that people with ADHD have the have an absolute inability to separate the foreground from the background. We can't. You just can't filter yeah. that out. And I know from my personal experience. I mean, I'm a, quite a uh, an extrovert, gregarious person, but I cannot stand crowds. The minute that I get anywhere where there's a lot of people, it, it's not a safety thing. I don't feel unsafe. I don't feel claustrophobic or threatened. I just feel overwhelmed. I just can't keep all of this input um, separated. And I know that that's a feature that, that a lot of men suffer from, but I think these hypersensitivity things are, are also very much a domain of, of women with ADHD. Are there any others can, that you can think of, hypersensitivities? Just not just noise. It's well, also textures, like finding the tags in your T-shirt really annoying. That can there, be one of cut those them all things. out. Yep. I have a recollection of when I was a little girl. I used to have this woolly hat. I hated that hat because... I couldn't stand the feeling of the wool on my head, on my skin. Um, And it had two little uh, uh, ties that would tie into a bow under my chin. And every time my mother would actually tie that bow, the noise and the feeling of that was like somebody scratching a a blackboard with fingernails. And I just hated it. And to this day, I can't wear wool on my skin. I just loathe it. 
Um, and I know a lot of people suffer from this kind of thing, but people with ADHD, it's it's a real it's a real feature. Smell is another one, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I'm be- very sensitive to smell. Yeah, I remember when I was doing my uh, my driving test actually because. Proudly, I will announce that I actually didn't learn to drive until I was 50, and I got my driving license first time, um, first go at the test. But during during my driving lessons, I, I remember I was on the motorway because I, I did my driving license in Germany, and you have to actually put in some, some motorway hours or highway hours in into training and I could smell the engine and I knew there was something wrong with the car and my driving instructor point blank refused to believe me and and thought I was just making it up and I kept saying no really really and my only convincing argument I could bring was the fact that actually I was a chemist by training and therefore he should trust me that my nose was sensitive to the smell of organic compounds and he took the car into the garage and indeed there was actually a problem with the engine and the guy told him in the shop, if you had continued driving this car, you would have blown the engine and that would have been very expensive. So sometimes it's not all bad, yeah. but it is a, a hypersensitivity. Yeah, sometimes if you just ha- standing next to somebody with very strong perfume or aftershave, it can it can be really overwhelming. Well, I just used to be very sensitive to the smell of cars in general, where I would get car sick, but not from the movement of the car, but rather the smell of the car. But nobody else could smell it. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's this is another criticism, perhaps, of, of, of people who, who say that they have ADHD in the face of neurotypical people. That's what everyone else is called, by the way, um, is that they feel that all of the things that ADHD people describe, everybody's experienced at some point in their life. And therefore, how can this be a disorder? Because doesn't everybody have ADHD? No, they don't. Especially, yes, probably everybody has once in their life experienced certain symptoms of ADHD. But unless they always experience these symptoms and they in some way, shape or form have impacted their life, they don't have ADHD. Right, and I thought that is actually centrally part of the uh, definition, the diagnostic criteria for, for ADHD is that the symptoms have to be fairly constant they have to have existed for longer than six months yeah um and And in multiple areas of your life so if you have a kid who really struggles to pay attention at school but they're fine at home they can focus on things at home then maybe the problem isn't that they have adhd they just find school really boring right exactly so it's got to be continuous and the other one as well was that it has to be debilitating um, and the irony of it is, unfortunately, that sometimes we don't notice how debilitating it is. I mean, in retrospect, I think my ADHD has been extraordinarily debilitating. I just wasn't aware of it. Yeah, I'm just totally unaware same. of it. And I think especially women, again, fight harder to cover up the effects of the ADHD. So if someone were just to look at the numerical marks on my school reports, well, they would never think I have ADHD. But I think if you look at the broader picture of some of the comments that I did get about disorganizations and even looking at my private life, how I've, especially since moving away from home while I was living in a flat for a year, that's really when the symptoms for me started to really impair my life more on the personal side of things and struggling to keep up 
with daily life and paying bills and all that kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. And there's a lot of really kind of weirdly trivial symptoms. Like um, again, for all you therapists out there, um, if you if you have a child or an adult who comes to you because they're a nail biter, you might want to check because there may be an ADHD in the back. I've always bitten my nails. Yeah. Um, that's part of that hyperactivity that comes out that you can't concentrate. Um, other things, for example, like being in the workplace and finding that you need to put your headphones on and play music, which normally people would think was extremely distracting, but actually for somebody with ADHD really helps you focus exactly. on what, you're, what you have to do and is tuning out everything that's going on in the background. Definitely, or even going further than that, when I was at school, sometimes the only way I was able to focus on my math homework was if I was watching Netflix in the background and everybody else would be like, oh, well, you're never going to be able to concentrate like that. But actually, that was the only way that I could concentrate because it was the only way that I could get my thoughts to sort of shut up a little <laughs> um, and really focus on what I was doing. So. Right. And, and, you know, the ADHD is a, it's a really frustrating disorder to have sometimes because you actually realize that a lot of what you do and the way you behave and the way you think appears to be completely self-sabotaging and you just don't understand why that is you do everything you can you try so hard you you have the best intention you have to-do lists from here to infinity and somehow it still just doesn't get yep. done and then you and then you're just so depressed and dis and you get incredibly disappointed in yourself yep. i think Self-sabotage is a, is a huge thing. I can't tell you how many late fees I've had to pay on bills simply because I have the money in the bank. It's not like I can't pay the bill. It's just I don't get round to putting mm -hmm. the envelope or doing the, you know, electronic transfer or whatever. It's yeah, crazy. I think that's one symptom we haven't really discussed in detail. That's another symptom of ADHD is procrastination. Oh, like a big one. Chronic procrastination. Um, that's definitely that something that I struggled with a lot and something that I beat myself up over like oh why can't I just do it a week before it's due why do I always have to leave it to the last minute and a lot of theories to do with that is going back to the dopamine that sort of that last minute stress gives you the adrenaline that your brain needs to concentrate right because adrenaline actually functions um, very similarly to stimulant medication actually and similarly to dopamine it provides you with that oomph to actually get over the initial inertia of doing something yeah and another one that I'm not sure we've mentioned is never finishing anything oh yes so when you start something often you're really motivated to do it and then you just don't finish it so in my example I've always written stories since I was a child. I've loved creative writing, but I don't think I've finished a single story in my entire life, and I'm now 20. Yeah. Um, and it can even be sometimes simpler stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, it can also be a life track. I mean, um, I, I wouldn't maybe put it so much into, the, into not finishing things, but a lot of people with ADHD, for example, find it very hard to even stay in a career. You know, they, they lose interest. They need to go off and do different things. And that has repercussions, enormous repercussions in the professional life. And uh, I think Ned Halliwell uh, was, was actually quoted as saying that, that the main reason why people, adults, come into his office looking potentially for a diagnosis of ADHD 
is because they just don't realize their potential. Mm. They've spent a whole life trying so hard, being told by everybody that they have an enormous amount of potential and a huge amount of talent. And, oh, what a shame that person's so flaky and so lazy that they don't actually do anything with it. And that's that's certainly, I have to say, a, a, a feeling that I recognize very much. I mean, luckily these days I'm playing to my strengths. So I finally found something that, that not only fascinates me and stimulates me, but also plays to my strengths of talking a lot. <laughs> Although podcasting is also very good because it teaches this ADHD brain here to actually learn to listen, which it's not very good at. I think that that's actually a really relevant factor for a lot of women too because I think innately a lot of women feel that if they don't live up to their potential it's no big deal because they were actually probably not expected to anyway. Um, I, think I think that's, that's a little true. different in men perhaps because that is much more of an expectation and that leaves a lot of women with just this kind of underlying bubbling constant sense of frustration and because they, they've kind of, a lot of them give up even trying to go further because they know it's not expected of them anyway. And when it's such a hurdle, why bother? Yep. And I think also the always changing careers, getting bored of things, I think that's not only something that people with ADHD experience in their professional life, but also their personal life. And I think it can influence relationships, friendships. And again, it's the idea that ADHD doesn't, just affect you in one area of your life but all areas of your life right absolutely absolutely and of course you know for women with ADHD there's the added component of being a parent yeah um, I mean that's obviously true for men too but you know classically we would say that women are in the in the primary caring role still of children and if you have ADHD that's that's hard because you know, first of all, ADHD is considered to have a significantly genetic component, so the likelihood of you having an ADHD child is fairly high. And you can just imagine, if you have ADHD yourself and then you have an ADHD kid, um, life can get pretty chaotic. Yep, definitely. Definitely. We've talked a lot about all of the downsides, and there are a lot of downsides. And one thing Ned Halliwell also says, I, I know I quote him a lot, but I think he's he's really, really brilliant at what he does. And as I said, one of the things I love about his work, he's one of the uh, first physicians, I think, who actually has taken this disorder and said, look, you know, you can you can run with this and actually turn it to your advantage. And he says... And that's the reason why this episode is entitled the way that it is. You know, the best thing is to, oh, great, I have ADHD. Because the worst thing is to have ADHD that's undiagnosed. Yeah. Right? So that's our plea to the young women, the older women, the men. But we have a particular predilection for, for trying to encourage women is really, if, if anything that we've talked about today, it, it sort of like rings a little bell, then pursue it uh, investigate it because once you get that diagnosis it really can change your life it can change your life for several reasons first of all as I said at the beginning the major thing is you can finally stop hating yourself for all of those things that you have not been able to do properly and it's not a character defect and it's not because you're lazy and it's not because you're stupid and it's not because you're flaky it's because you have ADHD um, and I think that that is an enormous relief. 
And I think it can also mean that you stop trying to fix those things about yourself. And rather than trying to make yourself be neurotypical and try to change all those things that you can't do very well, you can start to work with your ADHD rather than against it and realize this just isn't something that you can do well. Say you're really badly organized, then maybe you can finally accept that and find ways to work with it. And of course, don't just accept it and then do nothing about it and so suffer the consequences. Either try to work on it or maybe outsource it. Find a personal assistant if you can or a professional organizer, anything like that that can or help you. Or a friend you. or a partner or yeah. anybody that, that, that's in your corner that, that can support and help. I mean, that's it's another thing I think that's become very, very apparent with, with ADHD, that, that com, you know, communion, that, that being together with other people, being supported, um, having an extensive network around you of people that understand your uh quirks I, I'm not even going to call them limitations because I'm not sure that that's what they are but the, these these quirky nature um, if they're prepared to support that and help you out and let you actually exercise your strengths which is something we're just going to go on to talk about you can become a very happy and successful person so some of those strengths are um, interesting because the very nature of ADHD means that a lot of people with ADHD are risk takers. They, uh, they take chances that other people don't take. I was reading something somewhere about the fact that why is it that there are so many cases of ADHD and why is it so prevalent in the US? And there was a comment on the thing which is, well, you know, America was made up of a whole load of people who left their own countries in order to go for a better life. Who else would have had the courage to get on the boat? I think that's a great point. I mean, someone like Richard Branson, who who has has you know made successes in areas of business that that were really absolutely illogical and wouldn't have made any sense to pursue, and yet he thought to hell with it, I'm going for it anyway, and and turned it into a huge success. So some of those factors of of ADHD really you know like being a risk taker, being somebody who's prepared to think out of the box. Also, the other fact is that we can hold a huge amount of information in our heads at one time. So, you know, even in this world is very focused on people who are white male extroverts, I would say. I don't think that that's a, you know, an inaccurate statement. Um, So even if you're an introvert, it's pretty hard to deal with the modern world. But as somebody with ADHD, it's very difficult because this world loves specialists. It loves people who, you know, take one thing, run with it and become really good at it. And the generalist seems to sort of like not have much place. And yet someone with ADHD, who by nature is a generalist because they've tried pretty much everything, but they also have the ability to keep a lot of that in their heads at once. So they have a unique perspective on an overview. And sometimes that's crucial because everybody else is running around not being able to see the wood for the trees. And I think another positive aspect that we haven't discussed at all is hyperfocus. So a lot of people with ADHD 
have the ability to, if there is something that grabs their attention, to focus on it for hours on end. Days. Often, often, yeah. <laughs> it, it can often have some negative consequences. Say you get to eat or you're late because you've been focusing on something for so long you lost track of time. But conversely, it can also be a great thing because when you find something that you find interesting, you dedicate yourself to it so completely and you can get more done often in a shorter amount of time than neurotypical people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was one of the things that that was very confusing for me before I was diagnosed was why is it possible to, on the one hand, seem to have such a scattered mind that I wouldn't be able to get a series of nominal tasks organized and yet I could concentrate and hyper-focus um, uh, on things like no one else I know, um, days, I mean, literally days and days, admittedly, after sort of a period of about a week of hyper-focusing on something, I would have exhausted that subject to the yes. point that I never, ever want to have anything to do with it again. But uh, unfortunately, also, sometimes that hyper-focus is a computer game or Netflix. I mean, it's not it's not always great. You do have to kind of recognise you know, and also the problem when you're in that hyper focus is then being able to unfocus because sometimes you have the feeling of it it took quite a lot of effort to get me here. Please don't make me go somewhere else. You know? <laughs> um, that was actually one thing you brought up there, Cassandra, was this thing about being late. I know that's always been a thing for you. I had a reputation for that when I was younger. People used to actually tell me a time which wasn't the real time because they always knew that I'd be late. And I know actually professionally that I was taught as part of my hypnotherapy training that oftentimes when you have somebody who's constantly late, that this is a person who is kind of vying for attention. You know, they, they come in when everybody else is already there because they want to make an entrance. There was almost a sort of a bit of a narcissistic flavor to it. But that's so not the case for someone with ADHD. They're late just simply because they have incredibly poor time management. We also have a very poor perception of time. Yeah. You know, it's very hard, you know. Sort of a time blindness. Almost. Yeah, it's either now or not now, right? You know, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's, it's very difficult to actually estimate how long things are going to take you. Um, you know. And also either you can also sometimes be late just by being lost in your thoughts. That happens to me all the time. Or it's the idea of getting distracted, like, oh, I have to leave, but first I have to do this, and then I also have to do this, and oh, now I've just walked past the hairdresser, let me quickly make a hairdresser's appointment, and then suddenly 20 minutes have passed and you still haven't left your house, you still <laughs> haven't gotten to where you're supposed to be. Right, but we managed to turn that one back into a negative, so how can we turn that into a positive? I'm not sure about that one, I think the lateness one may have to stay in the negative box, but... Uh... But the hyperfocus is, is definitely a positive thing and the risk-taking is a positive thing. And there are other characteristics, I think, which are very positive as well of ADHD people. I think another one is creativity. I mean, Ned Hallowell always says that creativity is really just a form of impulsivity and I think that's very true. Right, because you can't really be creative without being a little bit, um, having a lack of rigidity, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So super creative. They also tend to be quite empathic, mm -hmm. um, but not sort of so much emotionally empathic, which is interesting. But ADHD people usually very quickly um, can pick up and almost see into people. You, you can see into how people tick really, really quickly 
which I'd like to think is is a really positive thing, and certainly for me as a therapist has has been nothing but advantageous, actually. Yeah. yeah. Any other things that we can think of that are that are good qualities? We tend to be very generous and kind people. Um, unfortunately, ADHD people do uh, tend to kind of sometimes pick the wrong uh, friends, partners, because they're sort of attracted to emotional train wrecks. Mm-hmm. Because, let's face it, somebody who is a, an emotional train wreck is exciting. And that's a great attraction to somebody who has ADHD and I think also this generosity and kindness aspect is that a lot of people with ADHD feel like this is somebody I can save. Um, and actually, of course, it isn't. Um, it is a, it's, a, it's a sweet and positive character, but sometimes it tends to be a little bit counterproductive for the ADHD person themselves. But kindness and generosity is definitely a feature. And uh, just to finish up with Halliwell as well, um, I know we quote him a lot, but... He always describes ADHD as, as having a, a Ferrari brain, but with Model T brakes. Yep. And that uh, you just really need to find yourself a good brake specialist, because once you've Definitely. got that under control, you can live well and live successfully and live happily. Yeah. And all the positives we've mentioned are not to say that it isn't a disorder, and that it isn't something that a lot of people genuinely struggle with especially when they're diagnosed but some undiagnosed but even sometimes when they are still diagnosed but I don't think trying to see the positives in it sort of diminishes the negative effects and makes people take it less seriously which is some arguments I've seen people make I think it's important to strike a balance between the two trying to understand that yes it can be debilitating yes it can have negative effects on your life but you can also you also have the ability to turn it around and turn it into a good thing well if not so much a good or thing at least, at least you can or at you least can, live with it you can exploit the positives and the benefits and also the one thing we really haven't mentioned is is unlike a lot of disorders the great thing about ADHD is it's treatable so whether you choose to treat that with medication now okay London Heal Mind Body you know we're not the greatest lovers of pharmaceuticals on this program but you know, I'm always the first one to say that absolutely everything has its time and place. I, I'm a lover and supporter of integrative medicine. And I think that sometimes, you know, the pharmaceutical approach is important. Um, with a lot of people who take stimulant medication, for example, this puts them back to the same place as everybody else. And within that period of being medicated, they can start to build up practices and habits and and tips and tricks and techniques and ways of doing things so that they have a toolkit which if they then at some point choose to no longer take the medication those habits and that toolkit is already is still there and so they can deal with their ADHD and still live well with ADHD and don't necessarily have to stay medicated. But the medication is a very real route. Cassandra and I are kind of deliberating and dealing with that at the moment, trying to decide if, when, how. Um, that's a very personal decision. And it also doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't About work for 20 percent of people. Yeah. Either it doesn't work at all, or the side effects outweigh the positives. Right. Right. Absolutely. And. Um, also, I think at this point, this is something which is kind of important for you to say, Cassandra, the thing about, you know, there's a lot of people who maintain that 
the diagnosis of ADHD is just a good excuse for the pharmaceutical industry to over-medicate children. What, you, you don't agree with that at all, do no, you? No, I don't think that's true at all. And um, it's not a made-up disorder. It's not something that someone just came up with to medicate children. It's dangerous to assume that this is not a real disorder the question about whether or not we should give psychoactive medication to children, I think, is a very important discussion. And I have no idea how I feel about that myself, actually, because it's interesting to think about what effects does medication have on a developing brain. And I mean, there is also the stereotype that ADHD medication turns children into zombies. But most of the time, that isn't true. And if it is the case, then usually it's more a matter of the child's dose is too high rather than they're just being medicated to be turned being turned into a zombie right and i think also another factor of this which is hugely important is that you know what what we're doing by medicating children on the one hand yes you are alleviating suffering in the child but on the other hand what you're also doing is essentially modulating behavior you're saying we have a code of conduct in a school, a, a way of being and a way of behaving, and anything and anyone that disrupts that has to be, you know, that square peg has to be rounded off to fit in the round hole. Um, perhaps a way forward um, in general, especially at this time in the world where so many established ideas and structures seem to be crumbling and changing, is to actually embrace people with ADHD and rather than getting them to bend and fit into the world perhaps we can start to actually respect and uh, enjoy some of the advantages or different perspectives that ADHD gives you and allow ADHD people perhaps to make the world a little to fit them rather yes. than the other way around. Exactly. Right absolutely. So I hope that this episode has, has been of use to you. Um, I, I can't, we, we've both tried really hard to keep this kind of upbeat because I think that's important. Um, however, I really, 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 really want to emphasize that untreated, undiagnosed um, ADHD can be a curse. It can really, really, really destroy your life. And what it will do without question is destroy your self-esteem. And you may then find that all of those classical methods of raising self-esteem just don't work for you. And that leads to even more frustration. You know, the person who goes off for the four week, you know, retreat somewhere comes back a, different, a changed individual. You go do the same thing doesn't happen to you and you wonder why. So this may be why. So, again, if any of the things that we've talked about, any of the symptoms or even vaguely familiar to you or someone that you know and love, then please pass this um, episode on to them and encourage them. On the internet, there are several online tests that you can do that in themselves are not a diagnostic. You should never self-diagnose, but they will give you some kind of indication as to whether or not it's worth making an appointment with your GP and asking for a referral to get a diagnosis from, from a mental professional and I also personally thought it was very helpful to read reports or articles or stories of people with ADHD because I think it can humanize the disorder and 
rather than it just being a list of abstract symptoms, you can see how people with ADHD feel and how it impacts their lives and what the symptoms mean in the real world. And that's something that I found very helpful. So like there's Attitude magazine online, which has a lot of stories written by people with ADHD or parents with children with ADHD or partners of people with ADHD. And I think they're a very valuable resource. Right. You just mentioned Attitude magazine. As a quick thing we didn't mention, but just to just to eliminate the confusion, you may come across the term ADHD. You may also come across the term ADD. ADD was attention deficit disorder. And I don't remember when was that because I know it was fairly recently. ADD and hyperactivity disorder were put together and made into ADHD, which of course leads to a lot of confusion, as we've pointed out, because that hyperactivity component doesn't have to be there. And in fact, a lot of older people who have been diagnosed with ADHD still call it ADD because that's tend to be. So be aware of that when you're out there looking for information. But this is the problem. You see, there is actually a huge amount of information. There's even a relatively large body of work regarding women. But you will only find it if you actually put ADD or ADHD into your search engine. If you have no idea that this is what you have, you're not going to be looking for exactly those resources. And that's the reason, one of the main reasons why we really wanted to do this podcast. We decided that we would bear our souls because we're both aware of the fact that there's still a little bit of stigma. Um, I think it's really brave of you, Cassandra. I'm really proud of you for doing this because we want to help people out there, especially women, especially young women like Cassandra who still have a whole life ahead and also for women in my age group who perhaps are looking back going, you know, I've suffered for so long. I'm never going to amount to anything. It's never going to work out. I'm just a failure, this, that and the other. You know, maybe look at it. And I think it's so vitally important that you actually go out and you get a diagnosis because it can really change your life. It really can change your life. And I think it's hugely important to be able to get to that point and do it shamelessly of blaming your ADHD for some of those things that you can't manage because it really isn't your fault. Now, having said that, I think it's also super important that you don't run the risk and the risk is high of falling into victim mode of saying, I can't do this because it's my ADHD or I didn't manage this because it's my ADHD. That's a very different thing. I think it's still absolutely your responsibility for yourself, for those around you, especially if you're a woman, for your children, that you actually go out of your way to really explore strategies to try and help. Now, we haven't really talked very much about that in this episode I would implore you, please, dear listeners, give us some feedback on this one because this is a really huge subject for Cassandra and myself because we're dealing with it on a personal level. Um, and so it's very difficult for us to gauge how how you know relevant this is this is to you. But if you have enjoyed this episode, if you think it's important, if you think it's relevant, give us feedback. And I, for one, would be more than delighted to further explore this topic, get hold of some experts and bring them on the show and let's really unpack this and talk a lot more about the symptomology, a lot more about the treatment options and a, a huge amount more about the emotional impact because I think that's really where this this disorder 
kind of like can can completely cripple you. Agreed. So that just leaves me to um, thank my amazing guest. Isn't she fabulous? I'm such <laughs> a lucky mum. I got one of the good ones. Um, and so thanks, Cassandra, for coming on and being so brave and so open. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's an absolute pleasure, my darling. And dear listeners, please, if you would, uh, as I said, if you found this podcast interesting and of value, please distribute it. Send it to those that you feel that really might um, benefit from it. If you want to have extended show notes for future episodes of London Heal, then please pop over to londonheal.com and sign up. Um, get on the mailing list and you'll receive an email every with every new episode, links to the new episode and extended show notes. And of course, please rate and review us um, on every platform that you listen to your podcast, but especially Apple, because Apple is changing their podcast platform and ratings, reviews, as well as downloads and listens are going to be in the future very much more relevant to the distribution of podcasts. And we really want to get the information that we have out to those people that need it. And so, my dear listeners, that leaves me, as always, to wish you health, happiness, and absolutely, in particular, serenity. Yes, And we're very sorry if we rambled. We have ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) Quite right.